What is up, freaks? It's your boy, Marty, here to introduce Rip 245 of TFTC. I sat down with one of my favorite Texans, one of the most eccentric humans I've, I've met down here in Tejas, Griffin Haby, co-founder of Mountain Line Mining, getting the oil and gas industry into Bitcoin mining, mining himself, oil man. We talked about mining. We talked about oil. We talked about the values of Texas and where the world is going from here, considering the, uh, the energy crisis that is upon us. I think you guys are really going to like this rip two hour dense. If you're looking to learn about the intricacies of the global oil and gas markets, this is the rip for you. It was brought to you by our good friends at Unchained Capital. Just picked up one of their koozies down the hall. Could use more structural fortitude, but I'll take it. It's a koozie. I think it'll, it'll, it's one of those koozies that if you pull the, the can out of a nice bucket, it's a little wet. Your hand might get wet, but it'll still keep the, keep the drink relatively cool. So uh, beyond koozies, Unchained Capital uh, leverages Bitcoin's native multi-sig properties to bring you a suite of services. Starts with their vault uh, they have a lending desk. They have an IRA product. They have a buy Bitcoin product. Uh, they're really building a Bitcoin company, leveraging Bitcoin's native multi-sig properties. And over the last few months, as we've seen Celsius, Voyager, uh, a bunch of these centralized lending platforms go under, it really highlights the importance of the model that Unchained has taken, which is use multi-sig, allow users to hold a key so that they have visibility into uh, their vault and the, the multi-sig quorum for a lending product to know that their sats are not being rehypothecated. So you have certainty that you're going to be getting your sats back at the end of the day if you pay off your loan. Uh, they have a white glove concierge service that's going to take you from zero to having a multi-sig vault set up. It's not associated with its loan product, but if you want to eliminate single points of failure, the vault is perfect to do this. It's a two or three multi-sig. You hold two keys, unchained holds one. You always have control of your sats in that multi-sig if you have those two keys. Uh, if you're a business, high net worth individual, a Bitcoiner with a, with a considerable stack, I would try to eliminate single points of failure as quickly as possible. And Unchained is here to do that with you. Go to unchained.com slash concierge to check out that product. This rip was also brought to you by our good friends at Bringing. Just breaking announcement. It's not breaking anymore. It happened like an hour ago. Uh, Brains is the team behind Brains OS Plus firmware. It's the team behind Brains Insights, which is a dashboard where you can learn not learn, you can you can see the landscape of the mining industry, hash price, hash value, difficulty, hash rate, mining pool breakdowns, ASIC profitability, calculators, that's Brains Insights. And guess what, freaks? They're the team behind Slush Pool, but Slush Pool is turning into Brains Pool. They're rebranding Slush Pool to Brains Pool starting in September. They made the market aware of that uh, about an hour ago. So uh, expect that if you're a long-term slush pool user, uh, they're going to change it to brains pool. They're, they're bringing everything under the brains umbrella slush pool. We're going to have to pour some out. We're gonna have to, we might have to have like a special episode, maybe tomorrow when we have Jan Capuchon, who is the, uh, the co-founder of brains. We'll, we'll be talking about the transition of slush pool to brains pool, but yeah, be aware of that. Slush pool is getting moonlighted. It's been an incredible brand an incredible product. And it'll always be remembered as a pivotal point in Bitcoin's history, the first ever mining pool. 
And I mean, it's the same pool. It's just getting renamed to Brains. So go check out everything Brains has going on at Brains, B-R-A-I-I-N-S dot com. Don't be an idiot. Use their firmware. It helps you stack more sats. You have an ASICs that's compatible with Brains Plus Plus firmware, and you're not using it. You're leaving sats on the table. And only idiots do that. So don't be an idiot. Idiot-proof yourself. Downloads Brains OS Plus firmware. This rip was also brought to you by our good friends at Hoddle Hoddle. Hoddle Hoddle is here to bring you lending platform with no KYC, no AML. It's peer-to-peer, leverages Bitcoin's native multi-sig properties as well. Uh, what you do is you put your Bitcoin up in a two or three multi-sig escrow account. You hold one key, your counterparty in the loan holds another key, and then Hoddle Hoddle holds the third key. Uh, again, since Hoddle Hoddle is leveraging Bitcoin's native multi-sig properties and you have one key in that quorum, uh, you put your Bitcoin up as collateral, you get stable coins in return as long as you're paying that loan back plus the interest associated with it, you're going to get your sats back and know you're going to get your sats back because you can see that they have not left that two or three multi-sig wallet throughout the duration of your loan. Go to lend.hodlhodl.com to check out this lending platform. They also have a peer-to-peer exchange. Again, no KYC, no AML, and they're hosting the Baltic Honey Badger Conference in Riga, Latvia uh, in the beginning of September. If you want to check that out, I'll be there. Uh, go to baltichoneybadger.com. This was also brought to you by our good friends at Upstream Data. Upstream Data is here to take care of your mining needs. Whether you're an individual mining at home, they have the black box. You can plug it in, it takes care of the sound. It goes from... ASICs are loud. If you just have them open air, that's what it's going to sound like. You put it in the black box, you close that box, it goes from... to... going to save your marriage okay you can't have a six just running in your house it's going to drive your wife crazy you put them in the black box you put them outside take cares takes care of the sound it also takes care of the heat they have a uh, airflow that is going to make sure that, that the box doesn't overheat and your a6 don't overheat as well uh if you want to get a black box use the code freaks you'll get five percent off the black box they also have bundles where you can get a black box and they'll also Acquire ASICs from you, so you can you can do everything in one spot. You can get your black box, get your ASICs, get it delivered to your house. And then beyond that, that's at-home mining. They're the godfathers of uh, mining in the oil field using stranded gas, whether it be flared or vented or simply unable to be brought to market. They have their hash huts. I am a happy customer of Upstream Data. I have one of their 50-kilowatt hash huts. Uh, I have that running on a stranded natural gas well have for a considerable amount of time uh, and have had zero downtime outside of oil changes in the generator, which you need to do. So at small scale, they have larger scale, 900 kilowatts units as well. Uh, If you go to upstreamdata.ca, you can check out the black box and you can check out these hash huts as well. Tell them the TFTC sent you if you're going to buy a hash hut. Enjoy this rip. Talked a lot of oil and gas, a lot of humanity. Energy is life. Cheap energy typically equates to human flourishing. Let's go flourish, freaks. Sticky! You've had a dynamic where money's become freer than free. If you talk about a Fed just gone nuts, all, all the central banks going nuts. So it's all acting like safe haven. I believe that in a world where central bankers are tripping over themselves to devalue their currency, Bitcoin wins. In the world of fiat currencies, Bitcoin is the victor. I mean, that's part of the bull case for Bitcoin. If you're not paying attention, 
You probably should be. Griffin Haby, welcome to the studio. It's good to be here. Pretty excited. It's good to have you here. You're one of my favorite Texans. Long time coming, man. You're, you're my favorite uh, transplant. Oh, thank you. Waving the flag uh, appropriately, which we're, we're all welcome. Open arms to Uncle Marty. Well, as, as Parker Lewis describes it, we're getting into the hole here mm -hmm. and fixing things from Texas. Eventually we'll break out. I do have to get back to Philadelphia eventually to save Philly. This is, this is your last bastion of freedom. So it just makes sense to start here. But yeah, we, you got some time to go back to Philly, but important things while the revolution's happening here. Yeah. It does feel like it's happening here. It is. It's, uh, I mean, we're here at the Bitcoin Commons studio in Austin, Texas, but uh, things are hairy right now. We're, we're working on a bill with the Texas Ledge uh, right now to get, um, you know, incentives for the flare capture uh, at the state level, which, you know, the Wyomings have done that. They're a little faster to move and they meet more often. But, uh, you know, that's kind of kind of step one is nobody in Texas wants to regulate anything. They would rather incentivize. And it's like one of the first little dominoes that uh, I think will have some big, you know, impacts down the chain. Yeah, and there's something unique about the Texas state legislature too. They only meet once every two years, right? And they don't get paid diddly squat. Really? It's like, I think a couple thousand dollar salary or something. So you got to actually want to be a public servant. Yeah, so what, exactly, that's what I was going to ask. Like, what does that incentive model produce? But yeah, it's, you can't just sit there and live high on the hog. You actually have to uh, want to be there, want to, you know, see what your constituents want and represent them well. Yeah, you got to help the, the uh, you got to actually help the people, which is interesting. Seems, seems like a good model. Yeah, <laughs> we should, we should replicate this throughout the country. But uh, speaking of models, I didn't think we were going to start here, but it's on top of mind right now, ERCOT, the grid system. What the hell's going on with the grid here? I think there may be some bad incentives on the grid in Texas that are, that are leading to. So I'm, I'm definitely not an ERCOT expert. Um, I definitely think the real problem with uh, the grid and Texas in general is I do the 90% of your population lives here, yet 90% of the energy is coming from here. And so you have all of the stranded energy where it can't be transported like a liquid or a pipeline because, uh, you know, the electricity you know, it loses its power as it uh, travels. So the big surge in renewables, which, you know, I get it. There's a ton of wind. There's a ton of sun. It's the only place where you get the wind belt and the sun belt. It's kind of coming together out there and nobody lives out there. So you needed somebody to take that. But at the same time, you needed to uh, get reliable baseload. For every megawatt you're putting on uh, of unreliable baseload, in my opinion, you need to back that up with coal or nat gas or nuclear. And, you know, we just kind of never did that. We didn't have to do that. You know, we've had some, you know, kind of milder... Uh, Seasons the last well, never mind. I take that back. It's been it's been <laughs> cold. Uh, now it's hot, and uh, yeah, I just think it's the. I I love that it's you know deregulated and free market will always uh, get you the cheaper energy. And in theory, you should be you know seeing higher gas prices now, so you should be drilling more wells. Which uh, we have a age old tradition of over drilling when we get high prices. So. Uh, we get the gas price down lower and more of it. And you're going to see some stability and a lot more nat gas generation, hopefully. And uh, if we could embrace more nuclear, uh, 
we'd be we'd be set. We'd yeah. have to be worried about this. That's what uh, I've been pushing the last two weeks specifically. And I think Texas is the perfect breeding ground for it is with Biden coming out yesterday saying we have a climate emergency and they're going to try to push us to more unreliable baseload. I think Texas, Wyoming, Tennessee, other states just need to start ignoring the nuclear commission and just start spinning up nukes. Do what Colorado did with marijuana legalization, uh, which was illegal federally and apply that to the energy sector and just start spinning up nukes. It's insane. Cause you I'm, I'm the son of a nuclear engineer. So I'm 100% on board with this. Right. And he uh, did the Navy, uh, you know, nuke subs with uh, like Jimmy Carter. Mm -hmm. uh, we can talk about having an energy crisis and his strategy of being the weakest, you know, white house ever. And now Joe Biden's like, hold my beer, watch this. <laughs> But the, the, you know, kind of, it's a hundred year transition. Say if you totally want to get off oil and they're trying to shove it into uh, a, decade. a decade, which it's unfeasible, it's asinine. And the only reason that this caught any sort of wind is because Wall Street basically subsidized all of the shale drilling. And so we just had the cheapest energy ever. And you could do lunatic things and you didn't see any consequences because gas was so cheap, right? We have gas coming out of our ears here. So if you can bridge nat gas uh, to nuclear while you're setting that up, right? You can't just wake up and start popping up nukes like you can go drill a well. And so the first state that really uh, embraces nat gas to a nuclear bridge is going to have the smoothest landing, uh, in my opinion. Yeah. Well, yeah. But, on, but on the climate deal, did you see his tweet today? He, uh, <laughs> what did he say? He no. said, there was a three-point bullets. He said, we're going to create jobs. We're going to protect the communities from extreme heat. And then he said, we're going to vamp up wind offshore <laughs> because the Supreme Court has totally, thanks to West Virginia, just emasculated and castrated the EPA. Uh, he's, he's, yeah, he knows that he's got to go offshore for this uh, production because no state is going to listen to him. And so his whole emergency is basically womp, womp, womp. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's insane that it's gotten to this point. And I, I think especially here, in, I mean, Texas has, the grid is under a lot of stress for many reasons. Obviously the weather was really cold in 2021. It's really hot right now. Uh, you have this mass migration out of the Northeast and California to Texas. So the, the demand has only been rising significantly over the last three years. And mass immigration. And mass immigration as well. And it's, uh, it's just befuddling to me that we have people in charge at the federal level who completely don't understand energy systems and are trying to mandate what people should be using as their energy sources. We've, we've passed the point of like dangerous ignorance when a guy walks up there and during his uh, primary debate is talking about ending drilling for oil and gas companies and then putting an uh, energy secretary in there that has not even the slightest clue about any hydrocarbon industry whatsoever and is, you know, laughing at, you know, drilling more wells and it's, there's consequences, you know, for that, for that much ignorance. And yeah, here we are today. You've got Germany, which would be the best base, like case study on this is what happens when you don't drill your own resources. Well, they don't have that many resources, but like when you import and you're reliant on uh, other people's hydrocarbons and you think you can go all, um, 
unreliable sources of energy. Yeah. It just doesn't work. And they're the most expensive energy. And now they're, a lot of people are going to freeze, unfortunately. Uh, in you know, Europe, Eastern Europe, and now they're importing wood. You know, our ancestors used to burn wood about you know, 5,000 years ago. And full circle, here we are today. Yeah, it's a regression. We're going back to the Stone Ages. Pull that mic a little closer to your mouth, um, your face. Uh, How's that? That's much better. We need, we need the freaks to hear the soothing tones <laughs> of Petro Mundo. But no, I mean, in Germany, they're decommissioning all these nuclear power plants. They're spinning up coal. And now the river's so low, they can't even get the coal up to the coal plants that they're about to turn back on. It's peak clown world. Not peak clown world. I'm not going to say peak clown world. Excuse me. It's indicative of a clown world. People just becoming completely detached from reality and not understanding. Like you said, we have an energy sector secretary who doesn't understand the intricate supply chain and the hard work. You mentioned Biden saying we're going to create jobs. Uh, I think that's... Uh, something that we can really touch on here is that we titled this an oil man's journey to Bitcoin mining. You've had extensive experience in the oil and gas industry. And one thing that many people should know, if you don't know already, is that the jobs that are created in the oil and gas industry are very good jobs. It's hard work. It's good paying when things are good and even when they're bad. Um, and these are essential jobs to our modern economy. If we want to live the life that we've been afforded over the last three decades. It seems like we're actively trying to destroy that. But what? Let, let's talk about your journey to Bitcoin mining. So you, yeah, you run Mountain Lion, uh, Mountain Lion mining, Mountain Lion Creek mining, or uh, so Olympia Creek was I, before that. Yeah. So I, when I first uh, graduated, I studied you know energy commerce, and then went to work at Anadarko Petroleum, big shop. I was not very good, big oil. Um, lasted about a year there, then went to uh, TCU and did like the ranch management, um, then went to the field. And I love the field. The problem with uh, uh, Anadarko was they sent me to the field and I fell in love with uh, the actual oil patch and uh, being a land man, you're negotiating uh, mineral rights, drilling leases, and um, found myself uh, in every basin chasing this new shale thing because shale was really uh, happening, you know, kind of as I got out. And then, uh, so that was, you know, 2005 to 2008. And we know that the bust of 2009 um, wiped out, you know, half the industry. Then, you know, we kind of ticked back up, um, met a girl, made me move to Houston. Uh, so I was working for a Bakken operator and they needed $70 oil. And then once it went below 70, late 14, and then the crash of 15, um, I was, you know, kind of kicked to the curb. And it was, what do I do with my life now? And then Peyton McKinney um, and myself started up Mountain Lion Oil and Gas, started doing uh, leases and uh, mineral rights and kind of gambled on a, on a top lease. It's where you're really nudging the, ex, uh, the explorer, uh, the exploration of this lease. And if they don't do it by a certain date, your lease you know, becomes active. And we in classic like oil and gas just rolled every penny that we had into this deal. And you know, thank heavens we got really lucky. Uh, it worked out. And so... Then we just started hiring people and growing mountain lion oil and gas. And um, we were talking the next bust. Uh, what we, we had a great lucky divestment in 2019. So we had a lot of powder going into 20. And we all know oil went negative in 20. 
And, uh, you know, it was bunker down, but luckily we'd built an algorithm that finally started popping off um, deals. So we were just allocating capital to buying as much pe- uh, production that we could. It's got to be cash flowing, we're in. And so we started, you know, kind of, uh, I got a buddy calls it a sea full of nickels, right? It's just a bunch of small interest here and there, but you get enough of them, they start to add up to a significant, you know, monthly income for us. And then uh, I ran into a buddy who uh, I was telling him about the algorithm. And then he's like, uh, kind of telling me about Bitcoin mining off net gas. And I was like, uh, let's just, four, four margaritas, you know, let's, let's get it on. Let's, <laughs> let's just go full kimono, open it up. And so next thing you know, we start chatting and he tells me the economics he's getting off of running. He's a geologist, geophysicist, Connor uh, Murphy. And Basically, they were banging out these prospects, um, you know, these, they're reef hunters, and usually they get anywhere from 50 to 150 barrels a day, just kind of steady eddy all around. And they hit uh, this prospect that was just nothing but dry gas. And they were 19 miles from a pipeline. And so basically, they had no way to monetize this asset. And he, you know, looked around, tried to freeze um, and strip off liquids, uh, maybe even do some like manufacturing and nothing made sense till... Steve Barber uh, comes down, they build a Bitcoin mine. And it's the first stranded nat gas uh, Bitcoin mine in Texas off, you know, field gas. And so he had high nitrogen content. So he's never going to build that pipeline, um, maybe a BCF worth of reserves. So it just never made any economic sense to do anything but mine Bitcoin. And that was the first time um, I had that aha moment. Uh, what I, I could, first off, I could never unsee the numbers. He was making more off a stranded asset, you know, than selling his gas on Henry Hub. And, you know, that market dynamic is going to change, you know, the economics of everything. But that uh, just, you, you couldn't unsee that. And then, uh, you know, the more I study like Petro history, that tool uh, means more to this industry, you know, going forward than say the first offshore platform, the first uh, directional drilling with a hydraulic fracturing job. And you just have these huge breakthroughs in technology that when they hit the industry, um, just totally change uh, the dynamics of everything. So you now have this tool that you're selling your oil, you're selling your gas, but if you can't sell them, you now have this opportunity to mine Bitcoin and monetize energy that you never, ever, ever could have done you know, before. And I, can, I could get into my thoughts on the future of where that's really going. But if you, if you really look at, at that tool that's never existed, it is so powerful because nothing is stranded ever again. And that's held back so much exploration, so much production globally, is that you just never had a market. And when you have a digital uh, global market that doesn't sleep and trades every day, uh, we just, just got a little bit more dangerous, right? Yeah. So let's get into it. Like, where do you think this takes it? So, like, I, I mean, obviously I've been immersed in the... Bitcoin mining off of flare gas, strand of gas. Uh, I've talked to people who want to use it at the midstream uh, to, to help suck in flare from uh, upstream on the well pad. I've talked to people who want to basically use it at the utility center to create like a third customer. If, if they have uh, just two customers and the Bitcoin can be another customer that helps them negotiate pricing. And you wake up every day and decide which, which route you're going to take. Yeah. Whatever the market tells you. So, so this is a profound change. We're not just blowing smoke up people's ass to correct, to make Bitcoin seem more legitimate. Correct. It's even if you don't believe in, um, 
you know, energy backed money and, and hard assets, like it's a tool and you can sell your Bitcoin every day, but that's a tool that you never, ever had. And yeah, so I like, like you said, Web, after I got off, you know, with Connor and we were like, let's go, let's go raise some money. What do you need? He's running S9s. And we we're like, let's go get some, you know, M30S pluses out there. And so we did a little raise and, and did that. But in the meantime, I was doing nothing but, you know, Marty Bent podcast and, uh, <laughs> and really just changing my whole view on what is, what is Bitcoin? What is this? You know, cause you walk into the operators and they're like, that's just digital baby babies. I don't know what you're talking about. But so let's say right now you've got the tool for a stranded gas asset. You're totally far away from any sort of a pipeline um, that you'll never be able to build. And so, boom, you now have a market, which you never did. Then the flaring, um, if you don't have a pipeline or you're waiting on a pipeline, um, flare capture, everybody wins on that one, right? The greenies like you, the, if you're <laughs> the president of the Sierra Club or president of Chevron, you don't like flaring gas and you're happy to monetize that asset or keep it out of the, and we're going to look back in 50 years and be like, I can't believe we're just burning that beautiful molecule into the, <laughs> into the earth, right? Like that was some of the most energy dense stuff humans have ever found. And we're just lighting it on fire. And then, you know, third is when you have like um, an oil field that's depleted, you've lost a lot of reservoir pressure. And basically uh, you built these gas pipelines back in the day because you had a ton of gas flowing, but now uh, you're only chugging along about three to five barrels a day, maybe. And there's not enough gas to justify these pipelines. So that's another case to where you don't have pipeline pressure and you can just you know, start, start mining Bitcoin. And so those tools are going to be allocated here in the next uh, decade and beyond. And you know, kind of how I think about it is uh, right now, the, the BRICS currency, right? You've had the petrodollar. The biggest thing about when Bretton Woods said, uh, everybody's going to use the dollar, we own a gold standard and everybody has to sink their Navy, right? So we have one Navy and like our allies have like one, one or two carriers, you know, that we'd allowed. And we just built up this Navy and said, every single bit of trade will be protected by us. And any free flowing sea lanes, we will make sure they're pirate free and anybody can do commerce. And then, you know, about 70, when we're uh, getting off the gold standard and then we became, you know, we've like the biggest number one producer of oil forever. We you know, exported so much oil that won the World War II, you know, couldn't have happened without our petroleum or heck any war um, since industrialization. He who has the hydrocarbons is going to win, right? Or at least access to the cheapest ones and the most. And so next thing you know, we are now an importer. We hitch our, uh, you know, wagon to this petrodollar. And the petrodollar works. Um, it really helps us when we're importing oil, right? Because everybody's got to, you want to sell oil anywhere in the world, you're going to have to use the U.S. dollar. Well, now all these you know, countries think they're getting clever by making this BRICS currency. Uh, we're the commodity guys. We're going to have this new currency. Well, out of Brazil, Russia, India, and China, that's like Russia's, or no, 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 no. Probably India is going to be your strongest Navy. And almost everything's got to really flow through there. And so if, if Uncle Sam decides, hey, oh, you want to stop using the petrodollar, watch this, right? And the biggest like event that could possibly happen is the United States says we will not protect sea lanes anymore. Unless you're our friend and you're going to help us out, uh, good luck getting your oil, right? Because back, uh, you know, before the nationalization of the seventies, it was the seven sisters, uh, you know, Chevron, Exxon, BP, Shell, 
uh, running their own tankers, their own oil fields all over the world, and then their own refineries and our gas stations. And oil stayed cheap as chips, you know, forever. Uh, like, especially like during the 90s, it was, you know, $20 or whatever, because they had all their supply chains and America would protect the sea lanes. So you're able to get oil to countries that never had any oil. Like China in the last uh, 10, 15, 20 years could not have happened without Americans allowing them to uh, import 85% of their energy needs, right? So the day that we say, no more. Uncle Sam is not protecting your cargoes anymore. Well, now, how does, how does that play out, right? If before Bitcoin, they're, they're done. Back to the Stone Age, age of piracy, uh, government piracy, right? If you're going to try to ship from uh, the Middle East through the Strait of Hormuz all the way uh, to China, and China's, you know, deep Navy is a joke, like there's no way they can protect that and all of their exports when that they're trying to get everywhere. And so the, the hostility towards the dollar could either end right there. And they basically are like, okay, we'll, we'll use the dollar or, you know, like you read, um, into the world, um, is just the beginning, Peter Zion. And he's, he basically doesn't believe in Bitcoin. So he's saying that you're just going to have these alliances and like basically the Western hemisphere is going to be controlled by, uh, you know, the U S and all those countries are going to kind of come together. But the East is, is going back to, uh, infighting. And if you can get access to hydrocarbons, you have to protect your own access, right? Like France could get their uh, oil from Algeria and they can have a safe supply line. Um, you know, Russia can sell through pipelines, um, which they obviously have been known to weaponize every now and again. But if you're importing oil at that moment, your, your lights turn off and you cannot get it anymore unless you somehow build the baddest Navy uh, in, in a very short time frame, which we know that takes decades and decades to put on. So my kind of theory is, okay, say that happens. And now you have no market if you're an exporter. Let's say you're uh, Saudi Arabia or uh, Nigeria. Well, you, now you've lost all of your export markets unless you have somebody that is picking it up, escorting your cargo, which is the slowest moving cargo on the planet, you're right? Sitting ducks. The biggest, the biggest ships in the world moving 15, you know, knots or whatever, trying to get uh, around the, the, the ocean here. It's so dangerous now. And I see like state-sponsored piracy and uh, it's going to be a lot of, he's basically saying like deglobalization. You know, when you drive a car, you got parts from 17 different countries and they all come together and cheap energy makes manufacturing. So my opinion is instead of this just destruction of, of kind of, these petro states, they're going to say, hey, where's my third tool now? Why don't I uh, monetize my asset? Where's my market? My, my market's the, the Bitcoin network. You look at the biggest alpha oil man on the planet, Vladimir Putin right now, hates Bitcoin, but loves Bitcoin mining, right? Because he knows he's got cheap uh, energy and some of the greatest natural resources on the planet. And instead of getting sanctioned, you know, the, the beauty of like a decentralized network, now everybody can monetize, you know, their assets. And, you know, back to Henry Ford wanting like the electro dollar, you know, energy backed currency, if you have to earn that money, you can't just print it, you're less likely to go spend it on fighting people. You'd rather just keep it in your pocket. Exactly. So that's the point I was going to make. Like, I don't know if ironic is the right word, but it counterintuitively can lead to a de-escalation over time where everybody's just like, all right, we don't have to worry about 
exporting our stuff to you. We can monetize it right here on our own land, be profitable, have a nice nest egg. And then from there, it's like, all right, we're comfortable. Let's figure out how we can uh, do commerce with each other in a peaceful way. Right. Yeah. And, but that's, that's for the petro states. What if you're an importer? Like, what if you have no natural resources? Europe, <laughs> China. Like, what are, what are they going to do? I have no idea. Uh, then you get a nuclear, right? It's mm. what China's doing. Yeah. What if Europe's over here shutting them down and China and Japan are building them up. Korea, building them up. All right. Uncle, Uncle Marty's going to put on his, his Marty Jones tinfoil cap here too. Like, I'm becoming more convinced that there's been this somewhat like the U.S. is known, U.S. government uh, intelligence agencies are known for inciting color revolutions across the world to overthrow politicians they don't like in far off lands. I think, I mean, with the insanity with energy policy here in the United States, push and Europe pushing towards wind and solar in favor of nuclear and hydrocarbons. I mean, nuclear... The fact that anybody's shutting down nuclear power plants and saying because it's not green is astonishing. Evil. It very evil. But like I like has there been like a like a propaganda campaign like incited by like the bricks of the world uh, to try to destabilize energy markets in the West so that they can spin up their nuclear plants and fortify their hydrocarbon markets while to like weaken us. Like I I, I with my tinfoil hat on, like I would not be surprised that there's been a multi-decade campaign that's been seeded by uh, the BRICS countries, mainly China and Russia, to sort of destabilize our energy markets to become weaker, and then they have more leverage. And what's going on in Ukraine and the situation with Nord Stream and uh, Germany right now, like you can make the case. I mean, the end result, if that that was happening, that propaganda campaign was successful, right? Like Germany's completely fucked. Russia's able to go into Ukraine without any worries because they know they have all the leverage with all the energy. And we're over here in the West, like just be trying to become completely energy poor. The good thing is nobody out of, out of any of those countries, out of every single country in the world outside of the West, when you said shore up their hydrocarbons, they can't do it. They cannot do it. A, uh, they might not have the natural resources there, right? Like China's tapped out. They got, you know, very inferior shales over there. They just uh, were not blessed with a bunch of hydrocarbons. Uh, Russia does, but those were drilled by Western companies. Those were drilled by uh, the, you know, the Americans and the Brits and the free market capitalists because the oil business doesn't exist without free market capitalism. There's way too much risk in uh, exploration. And so the, the fact that like I, I, could, I could get on board to where like, yeah, maybe they see this as the last super cycle of hydrocarbons. And uh, well, let's try to sell as many solar panels as we can because all we're good at value add is uh, cheap labor, right? The, the China's of the world. But if you look at like these, uh, Russia's got, you know, days and days of uh, natty gas and oil fields, but they don't have the, the skilled labor, the manpower, and the, the geography is horrible for trying to drill in uh, Siberia, right? Got to wait. You know, there's only a couple months where that permafrost is, you know, frozen over to actually drill out there. And the, the, the real technical um, 
you know, acumen of the, of these drillers, like there's not many, uh, there's not many new discoveries by national oil companies. Okay. They've, it's been done by Western, uh, free market capitalist guys that, uh, know that they're going to miss, but if they keep swinging, they could, they could hit a gusher. And so the whole, uh, you know, oil industry started, um, you know, but taking a risk in, in Pennsylvania and then, you know, Spindletop in Texas and the, uh, the incubator for all oil exploration was the USA, right? And we went out and, you know, drilled in Persia. We went out and drilled in Arabia. And next thing you know, we're the, we're the ones that discovered all these things. And then the national uh, nationalization from, you know, the, the dictators and, and the countries uh, that are if just friendly governments were like, hey, these are my resources, quit exploiting it. Um, which, I mean, you, you can get both sides, but nine times out of 10, when, when, uh, the, the Americans leave, the, the production goes horribly and they don't find new assets and, you know, corruption has, you know, really hamstrung a lot of, uh, a lot of companies nationally that, uh, you've never seen, a. a uh, a company take nationalize and then production just ramps up. Right. Because for, I guess, kind of the, the four things that make the USA work are private property rights. The rancher wants you to drill on his place as incentivized everybody uh, to get out there. Um, infrastructure, we got, you know, pipelines and the ability to do it. What well, we did before the latest uh, <laughs> the latest woke movement. And then, uh, financial, uh, access to capital. Um, and then the amount of skilled lit, like the, the brains that come out of here are trained. I think, I think the stats like 90% of all petroleum engineers in the world graduate from a U.S. university. We are the ones that train them. We are the ones, these are really hard jobs and it's, it's, uh, they're dangerous jobs. So you gotta be sharp. You gotta um, have a lot of training, and you can't just you know walk onto your rig and start swinging chain and and think that you're gonna make a hand, right? Like the the skilled labor department is all Americans. Like you go to any of these you know oil fields all over the world, and it was probably a guy from Odessa or uh, you know Wyoming or Oklahoma that drilled that drilled that one. Odessa, Texas, not Odessa, Ukraine. That we were just traveling, or if it's offshore, a bunch of guys out of Louisiana that were really exploring and creating this. And it was because of the, the, just the super technical aspect of the business. And I've, I've said it before once, once there's probably like a, another hydrocarbon bust. And when you have hundred dollar oil, you're going to attract the greatest talent in the world. Nobody wants to go to tech when, you know, they're taking a dump and, you know, energy's finally back. And so you're going to attract all this talent. And what's that talent? Uh, you know, it's, it's American talent. And then when they see the Bitcoin side, I think that they're going to flip mining on its head when it comes to liquid immersion and heat efficiency and um, really just taking every bit of um, efficiency from an ASIC through coating or uh, like wasted heat and be able to just conquer any environment and uh, really just maximize uh, the hash rate and good luck to anybody once, you know, the oil and gas companies start doing that. Well, and then on top of that too, what I'm really excited about oil and gas getting into Bitcoin mining is the markets that they'll create above the hash rate layer, hedging devices and futures markets and forwards contracts and all that. Cause I think that's desperately needed as well. We need that type of um, financial futures modeling brought 
to to Bitcoin hash rate and, and hash rate markets specifically. I agree. Yeah, it's coming. Yeah, and the, I mean, this is. I forget what, maybe it was in November. No, probably wasn't November. It's was probably like the beginning of this year when we were on a panel in Houston together. I posed the question who becomes who first? Do Bitcoin miners become energy producers first or do energy producers become Bitcoin miners? Like, what, where does this market go in the future? Because 13 years in, uh, Bitcoin has been a bit niche and it's been a bunch of crazy crypto anarchists who have basically plugged in machines and uh, created this incredible Bitcoin mining industry that we see today. But as we're learning, Bitcoin's getting more established. Uh, Low-cost producers are going to win out in the long run. Bitcoin mining is an extremely, just like oil and gas, it's extremely high risk. Uh, it can be extremely low margin at times and people get squeezed out and like is volatile the first 13 years of bitcoin mining just an anomaly in the long run where you just had enthusiasts or not enthusiasts but people who really believed in bitcoin before most of the world even understood it running the network and then uh, as it becomes more established and people like yourself uh, become aware of the opportunity provides your businesses as energy producers they just come and say hey Thanks for getting us to this point. Um, we're we're going to take over the hash rate from here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, obviously I'm a little I'm a little biased, but I I think that the energy uh, industry has been kicked to the curb. We've been villainized by every politician that anybody would listen to, and you know, not one person said thank you for cheap energy. But the second it comes up, they're ready to just uh, windfall tax us and blocking our pipelines and it makes us have to be the bad guy. And so we're kind of used to that, right? Don't get me wrong. You some places where you, you know, tell people you're in oil and gas and uh, just like a negative connotation. And I think, uh, you know, there's, there's a possibility that you could kind of flip that around to where you, <laughs> right now, I, I kind of see the last two years and that's all I can really speak of is it, it two years of me getting in into the business and seeing uh, where you know, Bitcoin mining is going. And when I first started, natural gas was trained at two bucks, right? So pretty easy to talk to guys, uh, you know, oil and gas producers like, hey, you got got some, you know, stranded assets or what's, what's, what's like your biggest differentials on what you're producing for and what you can sell for, you know, through the midstream process. And that's, that's a pretty easy conversation. Yeah, I'll mess around with mine, let's go. And then, uh, but the down... The other side of that coin is they don't have capital to, you know, the CapEx on buying ASICs, they're, they're not cheap. So you, you got to kind of do have that commitment or you got to partner with them and you can structure the deal anyway. But then as gas goes to like eight bucks, they'll find market for that gas, right? Like that's, that's an incredible number. And I don't think people have really realized how massive uh, natural gas is trading for right now. We would have been happy at $3. Four dollars, we were dancing. Five dollars was a miracle, and now we're like chilling at like six, six, seven bucks. And uh, that, the other side of that is now all of a sudden they have cash flow, they have money, and um, ASICs are going to get cheaper. And so you're going to see, uh, I think, more people that their their budgets allow more for because. Like the cap, the, the big boys, uh, the public guys uh, can't really drill right now. It's a lot of the private guys that are doing the exploration, but uh, it's- Why is that? Uh, Wall, Wall Street cut them off. You know, we incinerated a lot of capital. I'd like to say that we're, 
you know, fiscally responsible, but uh, we got drunken sailor when it came to shale money and, you know, incinerated a lot of dollars. And you give us, you give a driller a dollar, he's going to drill you a hole. That's the whole thing. Like we can't help ourselves. Right. And you, uh, you give a, a large cap company a dollar and he returned you 80 cents. And we just kind of like kept that hamster wheel going. They said no more of that drill within cash flow. And that's, you know, kind of trickled down. And historically it'd be the wildcats going out and finding fields and then you know, private equity or mid cap guy would buy them and then they would kind of uh, explore it some more and then, you know, can kind of get the machine running and flip it up to a major. And so you had this great trickle down, which doesn't exist right now. But I think uh, as long as there's an energy crisis coming and, you know, what I view is like basically uh, the seventies, all, all on steroids of uh, just, especially Europe. Um, and, and like right now, we don't really know what the price of oil is, right? Because I say we printed a third of the money supply. So it's a hundred dollar barrel. If you got a commodity that's priced in dollars, could be $70. I don't know yet. Yeah. And $2018 or something like that. Yeah. And, and the uh, strategic petroleum reserve that we're just draining right now. What's going on there? That it, it, it's never happened in the history of the world, or sorry, in the history of America that we try to buy votes in November or affect the price of oil with that. That, that was literally there for, if, for an emergency. And I guess this guy can call the weather an emergency. So that's how he's justifying it. But dumping all of that uh, fake barrels into the market, we don't really know what the price is right now. And my fear is that when this bull gets out of the gates, he's not stopping. And, he, and, and, and like, you wanna talk about a super cycle, like it's gonna go up real quick because where's the supply going to come from? Uh, you look, Saudi just publicly said they're tapped out. This guy's couldn't come to you know the United States and say, hey, let's drill here. He's got to go. I love that the left and the right are like, oh, he's, he's a dictator killing people. And we're just like, drill here, jerk. And we're like, kind of on the same team. That was just a bad trip. And so like, where are these barrels going to come from? Uh, I don't know. I'd say the Gulf of Mexico, but that's, that's like you know, three years out. No, we, got, we got three years of, of bull run uh, energy. And even if you have a, a world economic collapse, uh, you know, WTI is still going to trade and, and it's still an essential item. Gas is still an essential item. They're going to have to be using it. And I mean, I still think that's $75, $80 oil if that goes down. And then uh, just, you know, as uh, a well depletes, you're always drilling more to keep up with demand as, uh, you know, reservoir pressure goes down. And we didn't drill for two and a half, three years, anything. And Chickens are coming home and trying to replace those barrels takes time. And the hardest part is the lack of people in the industry. We had, uh, you know, the bust of 85, 84, 85 to 2005, nobody got into the business. And so you have this huge lag of all those guys are now dying and retired. And we were supposed to hang out for another 10 years before playing varsity ball and, you know, hang out in JV for a bit. And now there's just nobody else. And so we're kind of moving up and you're trying to find people and nobody's in the business anymore because we had three busts uh, in, in my short career. And that just weeded out a lot of people that didn't have the stomach for such volatility. And I don't blame them. You're trying to raise a kid and all of a sudden you're having to worry about your job every five, six years. That's tough. And so now we're trying to train these people. We're trying to, uh, I mean, even the, the big service companies said like, we cannot expand fracking because there's just no personnel. These are, these are really sharp dudes and takes a while to train them up and we just can't get production up. But I guess back to the, back to the original question, I think the, the mining that's gone on in the last two years has been cheap energy. 
we had we had the cheapest energy and it was it was phenomenal. It was beautiful. It was kind of subsidized by by Wall Street. Don't get me wrong. And so a lot of people saw this opportunity as a huge arbitrage. If you've got money over here and everybody's competing for this money and they're paying 10 cents, 12 cents to get that same gold and I'm paying two cents, three cents. Wow, that's that's incredible. But as we're seeing, you, you can't get those three cents, you know, contracts anymore. Like they're, they're really hard to get. And it's a lot of niche and, you know, stranded stuff. And so now uh, I see that the energy guys are basically going to get priced out of that big ARB that they had. And you're going to see the producers actually say, okay, that, that's what y'all are doing. Well, I know how to find energy cheaper than anybody. Watch this. Y'all just sit back and watch this and I will make the cheap energy and I'll mine the coin. And if, if they ever get into ASIC manufacturing, good luck. Good <laughs> yeah, luck to you. <laughs> that, that would be fascinating if they get into producing ASICs. That's like, that's been my favorite part of the last, what's it, 2022, three or four years that I've fallen down the mining rabbit hole. I mean, I've been in Bitcoin since 2013, uh, really focused on the economic side of things and the monetary aspect of, of Bitcoin network and the peer-to-peer uh, distributed nature of the protocol and what that can do for freedom in the digital age. But the last three to four years of my life have been really falling down the mining rabbit hole and the, uh, the convergence of this digital network with the physical world uh, in terms of the energy sector is, is just fascinating because you have so many variables on both sides of the equation, the uh, distributed protocol and the specialized hardware that allows you to tap into that and produce Bitcoin. And uh, on the energy side, just the whole energy supply chain. Like I had no idea how oil and gas worked in 2018. And now I like to think I have a, a good grasp on it. I'm completely blown away at how Texas boys, <laughs> but it's, it's, ah, it, so let's, let's get into, let, let me ask you real quick. Sure thing. What or when do you see energy being priced in Bitcoin? How long, how long are we till there? <sighs> I think it could happen within this decade. Um, especially, so, so that's, again, with the newsletter and this podcast, I try to incept my ideas of how I think the world should work into, <laughs> into the, the psyche of the, few, the thousands of people who, who tune into this and read the newsletter, and then hopefully they go and spread that message elsewhere. But I think, particularly here in the United States, with how, uh, I forget who it was, who was it? Um, maybe it was Luke Roman. Yeah, it was Luke Roman earlier this week. He said that he dropped the Winston Churchill quote, which is like America um, will will do the right thing eventually. Like we'll, they'll exacerbate all options, but at the end of the day, they'll do the right thing. You know, I don't think that's the U.S. government. I think that's Americans and just the, the spirit of freedom and making things happen that lives in our nature. Of course, we have gotten away from that. A lot of Americans have, but I think, I mean, you're a perfect example of that that spirit still exists here in these borders. And I think going back to when does energy get priced in Bitcoin, I think at some point in the next two, three, five years, if we continue down the trajectory that we're currently on, energy producers are going to wake up and realize they have all, all the leverage. Energy is life. Energy is the basis from which our economy moves and through which we can do things like have these lights, do this live stream, talking to this mic. And there's going to be a point, I believe a tipping point where energy producers become emboldened and they say, Hey, we have all the leverage here. Like we're like you mentioned, like 
people have villainized oil and gas, not realizing that it has provided them with the modern day society that we live in today. And at, at some point, there's going to be a, a psychological, social tipping point where the energy producers say enough is enough. Like we provide the base of our global economy uh, and we have, we know how to do this. Like we're, we're not listening to the federal government anymore. And if you want our energy, you're going to have to pay in Bitcoin because it's a better money. You're inflating away our resources. Like, yeah, they, I think you said these precious molecules, like we're just burning them with flare gas. And now we're hitting a point where you've printed a third of the monetary base within the course of two years. And these people doing extremely hard work, taking extreme capital risk in the energy markets are going to say, hey, like this, it's untenable that we continue to do all this hard work and take all this risk and you're just inflating away the value of the precious resources that we're bringing to the market. And at that point, I think people just start demanding payment in Bitcoin. I think we're already seeing that process play out with monetizing strand. Well, Russia's doing it, but like even here in the United States, like monetizing these stranded resources with Bitcoin. Like, yes, a lot of people are mining and liquidating right away into US dollars, but there's going to be a point where uh, you stop liquidating into dollars because it's losing value at such a rapid pace and you just continue to hold Bitcoin. And at that point, so you have that... Uh, tangential alternative revenue stream where you're building up uh, a Bitcoin hoard on your balance sheet uh, using wasted assets. And then when it, that's going to bleed into the assets that you're not wasting and you're selling the market, you're saying, hey, I don't want your dollars anymore. I want, I want sets. And I do think that could happen rather quickly this decade. I'm here for it. <laughs> <laughs> I am too. It's got to, I think this is the way out, right? Like this is the way we get out of the system. That actually brings us back to a question I wanted to ask earlier, which is Griffin Habe. If you had the magic wand and you could dictate energy policy here in the United States, like what would you do? How could we prevent the historic volatility that's existed in oil and gas? Unleash the beast. Like we're always, uh, I think we're always going to have volatility just because uh, it's, it's just free market capitalism. It's finest. When you have, uh, high prices, we're going to go exploring. We have low prices, we're not going to go exploring until you get to that pinch point of what's economical. Um, but, you know, volatility, if you just got to accept that. Like, I, I, don't, I don't think anybody really minds that part. It's the, um, like Trump, you know, you can say a lot about that guy, but the industry felt like he had your back and he hated high prices. He's on record multiple times. Like, I hate high prices. Let's, let's get these lower. And then all of a sudden you got a guy that's just literally pushing, you know, regulation and not allowing federal lease exploration or claiming that, oh, we, you've got 9,000 9, permits, go drill those when you have no idea what ge geology looks like. And so when you're, you know, if you're like an evil genius and say like some bond supervillain and you've got a lot of oil assets, right? Um, your goal is to either decrease supply or increase demand. And you can't go out and get any votes or media coverage if you're out there saying y'all should drive more, y'all should burn more fuel. Like let's let's get after it. Um, but you can say, hey, let's let's decrease supply. Let's go out there and watch the president of a country hashtag keep it in the ground in France, Macron, <laughs> right? Like so, we're kind of laughing, like guys, you know, that like we're gonna make more money because all you're gonna do is just drive up the price. And as a guy that owns assets, he's like, well, I guess. 
I mean, I don't know if I can vote for a Republican again if this is what I get every, every Democrat that comes into office, right? And so uh, I think that if you just like pipeline regulatory needs uh, needs a lot of help, right? So if I always take things back to history and when they drilled the 1859 Drake well in Western Pennsylvania, their biggest problem was there was no takeaway. They had all this oil coming out of the ground, but they didn't have enough barrels to you know, ship it off and you know, horse and buggy. So they had a takeaway issue. Too much product, not enough takeaway. Let's fast forward to 2008 uh, and they had too much product and no pipelines, no takeaway capacity, right? So they were getting diffed out, making like a 75 cents an MCF um, because there was no pipeline. And the fact that they can block a pipeline going to the East Coast from a huge field, the Marcellus is like the greatest Marcellus Utica, uh, you just got enough gas there. The Gucci gas. Yeah, they, they, it is right in the market's backyard. Um, it makes all the sense in the world on paper that that, that should be uh, where, where your market is and, and they can't really get it there. Meanwhile, they're importing you know, liquid, LNG from Trinidad and Tobago up in Massachusetts, right? Like it, the pipeline part uh, baffles me, but I think that like you're, you're even see it coming this November or... In two years from now, if you're up on this hill chanting, the world's going to end and, um, you know, we need to call this a climate emergency and we need to block all hydrocarbons, you're not going to get elected. People don't want to hear that right now. They want to know how can they uh, reasonably fill up their car? How can they put food on the table? And uh, it's, it's a time thing. Like you said, Americans will figure it out. Like I, I, I do believe Churchill was correct on that. Uh, it's it's going to take some suffering, unfortunately, but... I feel like the tides are turning. I do too. I mean, that's the thing is, is it's like the mainstream media and the political apparatus of the administration that's in charge right now. is just like casting a spell. Like there's many polls that have come out in recent months, like asking Americans, like, what are your biggest worries? And climate change is literally 1%. <laughs> 1%. <laughs> it's like, it's a manufactured problem. It yep. seems. It's, and it's, if my favorite thing is, is you can start out every argument with a climate catastrophist. Okay, well, why don't we go nuclear? And like, oh, no, 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 nuclear, nuclear. And it's like, okay, so you don't care about the environment. This was all, this is all fake. You're down here. You have zero grounds to stand on. Nuclear has no emissions. If, you've, if you're going to demonize carbon, that's, that's the bad guy. How, how can you not be building nuclear? And it's, uh, that's, that's when you know, if you use any logic in a, in a conversation with these catastrophists, it's, uh, they don't, they don't really care. Uh, they're, uh, you, the anti-human uh, argument is what it is. You're either pro-human or anti-human. And, you know, all signs point to if we are in this um, warming period that's, that's going to kill us all, like man has always out-engineered uh, his environment and human, the, the human race will go on and go on and go on. But if you're trying to figure out... Um, the next big thing, say it goes nat gas, nuclear, and then fusion, fission, whatever. That's above my pay grade. To study all that, you're going to need uh, a lot of research, a lot of you know, R&D dollars, and you're going to need more energy, not less energy. You're going to need uh, more energy to keep the lights on to where every single nuclear engineer scientist can figure out uh, what is the most efficient way to go to zero carbon. If, if carbon really is the bad thing, even though it's what plants need to survive, then so be it. But you're going to get there 
by keeping the lights on all the time, not waiting for the wind to blow or on a sunny day uh, or a cloudy day, you have to turn off the lab and wait till, you know, the sun shines again. And so the, the fact that like you're betting against mankind, like it's not a good bet. Uh, we're pretty darn handy. And it's even all like the, the doomsday guys say we have 100, 120 years and it's going to go up by 3% or 3 degrees Celsius. That's, that's plenty of time for us to figure this out. How about y'all just chill out? Let, let the big boys, you know, figure out uh, the next step, you know, in the energy transition. And uh, let's, let's not absolutely destroy our economy in the process. Yeah, well, I mean, if you amend reality with the projections of temperature rise, like it's just not happening. <laughs> like the, the models that Al Gore was pontificating about in 2000, 2001. Uh, Airball. Like it's the temperature is going to rise two degrees Celsius by X year. Um, we're not going to have any oil by 2020. Like the stuff just has not happened. And at what point do people wake up and stop listening to these models, which are manipulated to produce a certain outcome so that they can then go fear monger to push industry one way as opposed to another. Like it's your, it's the unproductive. That's the other thing too. That's another thing I'm trying to meme into the psyche of the masses right now is the unproductive class. These people are unproductive. They don't drill wells. They don't make end products. They just make policy, which has got us into the situation. And I think it, another weird part about America today is that a lot of our, uh, trust has been allocated to this unproductive class that's never built anything. And they demonize the productive class, the oil and gas producers who've provided us with modernity. And something at the social level needs to, there, a f switch needs to be flipped where people begin uh, taking advice from the productive class who actually is, is providing these things and ignoring the unproductive class is just pontificating. It's happening right now. I like. I, I promised myself as I watched Bitcoin go up to, you know, 65,000 bucks. Uh, it's like, man, if it ever gets back down to 20, I'm just going to back the truck up. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And then all of a sudden it gets to 20 and I'm sitting there like, I would love to, but this is going to be like one of the greatest super cycles of my life, let alone career in oil and gas. And now I'm, I'm, uh, I'm going after the energy. And so we're, we're basically uh, on the oil and gas side, because I went from, you know, about 10% oil and gas to 90% Bitcoin mining to then, um, you know, the Olympia Creek, uh, we got lucky and partnered with uh, a firm that's building up, you know, probably like 600 megawatts out there on grid. And then, you know, kind of once we handed over uh, the operations there, we've been strictly oil and gas, like 90-10. And we are like so bullish on this next cycle and like, like currently in the middle of it. And, uh, and then all of a sudden, you know, with the, with the fall in Bitcoin, now it's, you know, really time to buy ASICs. And I think that, you know, smart money is going to be buying ASICs. So now we're, um, going, going back and, uh, doing like a mix between off grid and on grid with mountain lion mining. And the moral of the story is energy is, is what, uh, is the foundation for everything Bitcoin. And I can, I sure I can buy, you know, on the, the actual asset, but if I'm really betting on the long-term uh, mining position, I think it's, it's more uh, important to secure your energy resources right now 
to have access to them because I don't know what the future looks like. Like you said, this unproductive class, uh, something's got to give to where uh, the guys, like we're, we're literally, we're leasing right now. Like I haven't leased in a decade, right? And I'm trying trying to get our hands on, um, you know, as many uh, molecules as we can, um, whether that's through minerals, royalties, or leases, just we want that production to kind of hedge us out when energy prices go parabolic, right? Like, because America's going to be fine. Like Europe's not. Um, you're going to have your haves and haves nots. <laughs> Europe's not. Maybe with like in uh, the United States itself, you know, the the Oklahoma, Wyoming, Texas, Louisiana, um, North Dakotas are, are going to have a lot more flexibility maybe on their energy versus um, the coasts, right? And so when I, when I picture the doers, the builders, uh, it all starts with energy. Energy's life, right? So we're really, uh, really going after, like trying to control the actual molecules because then you can control your own destiny on, uh, on the mining side. And I don't have to worry about what a commodity market's going to be doing uh, with the actual asset class of Bitcoin. And the, uh, yeah, man, I think the future is really bright in uh, owning, owning any oil and gas. And, and like I said, there's just not that many people in the industry anymore. And it's, I think it's going to grow a lot. And right when we're this collision with Bitcoin and oil and gas uh, is kind of happening and it's happening fast. And it's, uh, it's going to be, it's going to be a fun ride. Yeah. Well, and that brings up another point going back to like, when does energy get priced in sets? Like imagine, I mean, it's very possible and I would not be surprised in the least bit. I'm probably actually betting on it. You're going to have parallel super cycles in energy and Bitcoin. And if you have a portfolio of energy assets and Bitcoin mining that produces Bitcoin at the end of the day, that sits on your balance sheet, like that, that supercharges your balance sheet for that. And then you can go out and drill more and provide more uh, energy to the market. So like there's maybe that's, maybe, maybe we do need this commodity super cycle in energy specifically to sort of break away from the unproductive class where you guys will have all the energy and then a lot of the Bitcoin as well. That's, that's what I'm here for. Yeah. The, yeah. Cause the, there, the thing that blows my mind when I talk to, you know, old dogs in the industry, been in, uh, you know, poking holes for a good bit. And I say like, what if I told you there will never, ever be a natural gas bust for the rest of your life? You, you literally now wake up and the market tells you, do I go drill for more gas or sell my existing gas or do I mine Bitcoin, right? If I've got $7 gas, I'm not going to be mining Bitcoin. I'm selling that all day and you can buy Bitcoin instead of mess with the, the computers and the generators and you know, all that good stuff. But the fact, the fact that there will never be a bust again uh, is crazy. And so what's, what's the flip side of that is, let's say gas stays stable and Bitcoin stays like stable. Well, that's all we've ever wanted in the industry is zero volatility. Like that, that's no problem. We can, we can handle that. And so, yeah, when you got high prices, you go out and look for more. When you get low prices, you mine it. And that's, uh, it's just something, it's so mind blowing. If you've been in the industry forever and never had that option, uh, it's, it's really, like I said, it's like the most important uh, evolution that, that, that's, that's really happened since I'd say fracking. Yeah. And it's going to take time to get there. And this brings us back to, what you mentioned earlier is like the lack of talent in oil and gas right now. Like I spoke with a friend in the industry who's, uh, who's working on well pads drilling right now. And he said, the biggest problem is you can't get 
you can't get drilling teams. Like they're they're all booked out, and you you have people basically saying, "Hey, let me know if uh, you have delays on your pad. We'll rent your drilling team for you, so they can come work on our pad." And so, and if you can get them, yes, you got to pay up. <laughs> and so, like, and, start, then, and then you can't get any pipe if you drill the well. You can't case the well. Um, it's like there's a sand shortage because um, nobody like the industry just went stagnant for two years and you can't just you know come in and turn it on if you're running um a frat crew of five different of you know trucks like a, a five truck fleet or whatever and all of a sudden nobody wants your service uh you you know say that one guy's running a five-man crew one guy's running a five-man crew you then like pretty much have to downsize and just keep the crew chiefs and turn into one team and then all of a sudden they come back two years later like oh hey i need not only all those five to go back to work i need 10 oh oh okay just give me one second i'll throw a really uh sophisticated dangerous job into the hands of a greenhorn and and just see what happens right and you cannot you can't get a hold of the people or or the products and like i said looks looks good for oil bulls yeah well let's talk about how this has affected Bitcoin mining in the oil field because I mean you mentioned generators earlier I, I think that's one thing uh, the Bitcoin mining industry those of us who came in from Bitcoin mining and uh, wandered into oil and gas flare gas stranded gas uh, are learning the hard lesson of of the intricacies of exploration and one of the most important factors, not only for Bitcoin mining, but for drilling and operating on the well pad is these generators. And that is a big part of the all-in electricity cost of a mining operation is, is power generation. And as we've seen the price of oil and gas go up and, and more drilling uh, go down, uh, and, and you've had uh, all these drilling teams booked out and hard to get, uh, demand for generators for uh upstream production is high as well. So the price of that generation has gone up, which has led to less favorable economics for the Bitcoin miners who wandered into oil and gas and they're realizing, oh shit, like you're you're raising our lease rate month on month to this. That drives our all in power costs from three, four cents to, to eight, nine cents. And so you, the Bitcoin mining industry that came into oil and gas is sort of learning these hard lessons were like, we need cheap energy. It was there in 2020 mm-hmm. uh, when the oil markets tanked and you, you were able to buy gas uh, for one, $2 in MCF uh, to mine with. And now not only is net gas prices going up, the demand to drill has gone up. Therefore, the demand for generators has gone up and the price of that generation has gone up on top of that, that, that fuel source. That's why it's a good marriage, <laughs> right? Uh Instead of having one one guy winning and the other guy losing, and then this guy's winning and then this guy's losing, if you're all on the same team. You just you just wake up and decide which one works better. And the yeah, the real niche is is power generation. Like uh, if you're renting expensive generators, your your economics like you really got to believe in 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 the price increase of Bitcoin. Um, and then I would I would kind of say that. The future is abroad um, going like, you know, we're kind of talking to um, a country in the Middle East about, uh, you know, they're, they're stranded assets that they don't care really what the price is if it's stranded. Uh, they can't sell it. So uh, you're going to see opportunities on scale that way. Um, and then uh, a, 
domestically, I think the projects are just going to get a little smaller and uh, real, real niche mining, like kind of how it started. Those guys are, um, are going to be doing pretty much something that's like, uh, it's going to be abandoned at $2 gas. They're just, it's not worth messing with. Um, you're going to see a lot of those, I think, kind of springing up. Um, hard to scale, but, uh, you know, where there's a will, there's a way. And a lot of Bitcoiners are like, feisty uh individuals that will you know go get their hands dirty and take a risk and um you know kind of figure it out roll up their sleeves um and then yeah you just i think you you really wait for the next oil bus it's going to happen i mean i've i've seen i've seen the charts too many times to to think it's going to stay up forever but uh the 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 real advantage for you know, oil and gas, Bitcoin mining is when there is no option or there is such a low price for your product that it's just, it makes economical sense to really flirt with this idea to then deep dive in once, you know, you do get to the next bust. Yeah. No, I mean, I've, I'm experiencing dabbling in the, the lower scale stuff up in Appalachia where you have a bunch of these stranded gas wells they produce anywhere from 15 to 120 MCFD, which is not, a large scale, but there's dozens, hundreds, thousands of these wells all throughout northern Tennessee, southern Kentucky, Ohio, Indiana. And you can get scale. You're going to have to piecemeal a bunch of operations together. And at that point, it's a, it's a logistics problem. It's not really a, an access to energy problem. It's just trying to figure out how to have many different sites across a, a wide geography. And how do you solve that logistics problem of having people go check the gen sets repair miners like at scale um, yeah and and that's what kind of really stopped us from doing it to be honest with you because uh for us you know when you think of gas gas mining right you got you need a pumper to make sure that this well is producing all the time steady you know flow of fuel then you need a, a generator set you need like a mechanic that can fix those when those goes down to then an electrician if you're fixing uh you know, switch switchboards or panels or whatever, and then you need uh, hardware, software, firmware guy, right? And so it's almost siloed. It's really hard to find one guy that can do two, three, and nobody can do all four of them, right? That's like just really rare. Um, so our problem is getting you know personnel um, for that, and that's why we went to the grid. Why on the grid was just really cheap, and it was a weird time with China checks it uh, coming over here trying to you know get as much capacity as they could, but you know, you'd be surprised uh, if you can incentivize a local to um, say, hey, you're going to get part of this Bitcoin mine, uh, but you, you got to make sure it's running. I'm not going to fly out of Austin to go check on 10 machines, uh, you know, that two of them are down, right? Like I can't ever make a profit doing that. But uh, finding the right people, which, uh, you know, the networking these days, like through the bird app and everything is nuts. And I never thought I'd be a big Twitter guy, but the amount of contacts you can get and um, access to so many ears uh, and eyes uh, is incredible. And so if you can incentivize the guy on the ground to, you're going to be receiving this Bitcoin, but it's up to you how much comes out. It's up to you uh, how much our uptime is. And it's up to you how much you have to pay for these services or you figure it out. And, uh, you know, people learn 
And oh, like, yeah. this is, we're still in the first inning, Marty. We got so much time <laughs> to figure this out. This is the first inning of mining. Like, what, 2140? I mean, we got, we got a lot of time, but the real, um, the thing that always just uh, 6.25. We're going to, you know, that's, that's a big number. And, you know, once those kind of go down, we're going to look back and be like, man, why didn't I just do everything I could? Oh, we were at 6.25, right? And when they're mining less than a Bitcoin uh, of rewards, they're, uh, they're going to look back and grandpa will be like, dang. Those were days. You were there. It's going to be, it's going to be that meme of the World War II era father with the son on his lap. What were you doing during the 6.25 block subsidy? <laughs> I was plugging in ASICs. Legend. The whole <laughs> <laughs> no, and it's, oh, well, so we're in the first inning. And bringing this back to like how EPs will implement this, like I've always had a grand vision. Like I mentioned earlier, like it, Bitcoin mining can be applied upstream, midstream, at the utility. And now with Steve Barber's black box, like at, down all the way down to the residential consumer at their house. And I, I, I have this grand vision for oil and gas specifically where Bitcoin mining gets implemented into drilling schedules where like a lot of the problems you have when you IPOL, a lot of producers have delays because in, in some states and some basins, they can't drill unless they have a pipeline to take the gas away uh, to market. And uh, you can, in other states you can drill, but you, and you can flare after that, but you can only flare for a certain amount of time before you have to shut down that, that well because you're, um, because you're breaking environmental laws. Like I have this grand vision of like mining at scale upstream. When you IPOL, you, you get the oil, you get that to market, you take the gas, you funnel it to generators, you mine Bitcoin, and then you basically implement it into your, your drilling schedule. And I could be completely off in this. Tell me if I am. No, you're right. Where, drilling crew, frat crew, mining crew. Yeah. And so you just drill a well. It has, has that steep decline as the well declines and the gas volumes fall you just peel off miners and then on to the next you go drill a well down the down the road yeah because that doesn't make sense as a third party but it makes sense in-house yeah and it's ha it's it's kind of happening now because right now they are using third party like we were talking to a you know pubco about uh chasing a rig in uh new mexico which they just hard ban on on flaring and uh it, it made sense for us, you know, just basically for uh, the experience, the deal credit, the, um, I guess the badge, you know, but on paper, it was rough, right? It's a lot of work. Uh, it's right when you get settled, you're like, okay, let's mine, but on to the next. And it's um, pretty, pretty volatile in some, you know, you're, you're dealing with mother nature and some dragons deep down in the hole and you don't know how many are coming out uh, on what days. And so the, uh, the, the logistics were tough for a third party, but if you're doing that all in house, then, then you don't really care because you can understand the economics on both sides. Um, you, you know, might lose the oil for a day. Um, but, but you know that you'll, you'll make it up, you know, in the future or you'll just go ahead and run, uh, maybe maybe oil's down that month, and uh, you're you're happy to just get it into storage um, to where to where you can keep this mine going and not have because you basically you have to charge them a penalty if you're not getting any fuel 
And so if you don't have to pay that penalty, it's just, I mean, it all comes down to how much dollar per barrel, dollar per MCF, dollar per Bitcoin. Yeah. Yeah, and the future will be MCF per Bitcoin. Yes. Um, sats per MCF. Sats per scuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, what was I going to ask? I just lost my train of thought. Oh, pubcos. Like, so, I mean, David Bailey, founder of, or the uh, owner of BTC Media, came out publicly yesterday and tweeted that uh, one of the largest oil and gas producers in the world has just signed on for a two-year sponsorship of the Bitcoin conference. Really? And so it seems like pubcos are, are getting, like, w- w- without naming names, obviously, like, do you think the the big super majors are going to come in within the next few years? Three to five. Three to five. Three to five. At they got, scale? They, they got to drill oil right now. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. It, it, eye on the prize right now. Eye on the prize. Like, uh, it is it is time to get some barrels out of the ground and explore, right? Um, you know, you don't explore $20 oil, but sorry. You drill a $20 oil um, because you have cheap service costs and uh, you're then heavily rewarded once uh, the price swings back up and you got flowing barrels instead of having to go expensive rig prices and try to you know produce more. And so that's like right now drilling for for oil at twenty dollars is I see the equivalent of buying ASICs twenty dollar terahash right like that's uh, it's kind of the smart money wins but a lot of you know it's still I mean, it's still risky everything everybody's scared and it could hang out at twenty dollars a barrel forever or Bitcoin could hang out at twenty you know k forever and so I think. Uh, Sure, in the future, yes, but but right now, uh, we are one trick pony of like get as many flowing barrels because when this thing rips, uh, it's gonna rip. But you know, unfortunately, it's gonna probably do a lot of damage uh, to the global economy that any importer can't afford to import anymore, and uh, it'll the music will stop, you know. And so it's make money while the hay is shining or sorry, make hay while the sun is shining because we've been uh, kind of just lull for seven, seven, ten years of no real like hot action. And I think, uh, I think that's what we're walking into sleepwalking into an energy crisis, you know, kind of right now and how long uh, it lasts. I don't know, but if I'm a, if I'm a major, I'm thinking let's start exploring. Let's go elephant hunting. Let's go find some big, big production fields uh, that we can, you know, kind of replenish all those reserves that have been depleted in the last three years when we haven't been drilling. Yeah. And being forced by, you know, ESG activists to divest stuff and, and invest in uneconomical, you know, green, green, unreliable projects. Well, that's one thing that worries me. It's like ESG going to fucking, I was literally about to bring up ESG and then you mentioned it for me, but like, I mean, Exxon, you have the activist investors on their board and they're publicly posturing, like, we're going to transition away from fossil fuels. It's like, how, like, are there any anti-ESG players in that space that are saying, all right, we don't fucking care. We're going to drill oil. All the privates, none of, none of the public guys. Like, so if, yeah, no, I, I, I don't, I don't think that that is uh, sustainable. I think, uh, after a lot of people die in, in Europe of starvation because of lack of fertilizer, because that's derived from natural gas and 
people freezing to death because they pickled the beast on on NATO and they can't get access to uh, a heating source. Uh, it's going to be really tough to go pat yourself on the back and say, I'm trying to save the world for ESG. Uh, it's it's just becoming more apparent every day that it is a it's a it's a huge scam. And once they start saying that you know nuclear warheads are ESG or missiles are ESG, and now all of a sudden everybody's backtracking and using coal, and all of a sudden now nuclear is cool. Um, they're, they're just they're pulling that thread, and it's just unraveling uh, every single day. And I'm here for it because it's dangerous. It's uh, it's anti-human. Uh, you just you literally are going to make a lot of people suffer uh, without a lot of means or access to cheap energy has never gone well uh, ever. And the only way to like get yourself up uh, as a developing country is, you know, access to cheap energy. And the, there's nowhere uh, in the world that ESG has lifted anybody up. I mean, let's talk about Sri Lanka, uh, the beautiful ESG score. How's that going for you? You know, it's terrible. It's really sad. I don't mean to like, uh, stupid Sri Lankans, like they didn't vote for that. They got, you know, kind of manipulated into it. And it's, uh, it's just one domino that's, like I said, just going to keep kind of falling over until, you know, like I said, if you're trying to get elected on screaming ESG, uh, man, Johnny Q Public is kind of sick of it and ready to control his own destiny and save his money. And uh, this is, you know, kind of not the way when you're paying, uh, the expensive you know, prices at the pump and your energy bills have gone up and you're having to cut out certain things in your life because, uh, I mean, let's, let's face it, is this, is it, it's kind of a dangerous policy that is, it's not sustainable and we're seeing like kind of the house of cards fall. And if, if you can still be for it while watching what Germany is about to go through at the end of this year, then uh, you're a different type of human being than I special kind of idiot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's, and that's, again, going back to the Luke Roman conversation I had earlier this week, that was sort of what we ended on. It's so mind boggling because all it comes down to is a decision. Like we have all these resources at our fingertips. We have the intellect and the capability to make it happen. It's just this weird political will that's preventing us from. Man-made. Yeah. hundred percent man-made. Like we could have everything. We could be clean. We could, I mean, and that's the other thing, like the whole climate change and denigrating oil and gas is, it's just like, it, it makes it seem like the only way to get oil and gas out of the ground and to market is inherently dirty, where it's just simply not the case. Like we made inc- crazy improvements with the safety and uh, cleanliness by which we, we pull these molecules out of the ground. I'm, I'm still speechless. Yeah. But I, 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 like you said earlier, states need to just disobey. Like the future of Texas and the, does Texas have it? Does Texas have it in it to disobey? Yeah, yeah, I think they do. Uh, I always tell people there's about five, uh, like, points. I was chatted on the stage with you right over here. Uh, it was first, you know, the the Spaniards came over here looking for hard money, gold. And they gave uh, every single settler the incentivization was uh, heavens, you know, to the center of the earth. And that was like the best private property rights ever. Heavens to the center of the earth. So um, you have this like cowboy, uh, you're out on these huge ranches. Nobody's come to save you from the Comanches. Uh, like you got you to figure it out. So you got this independent spirit 
of, uh, you know, I control my own destiny. Don't tell me what to do. Get off my land. Then um, the, the revolution happened and, you know, Spain became Mexico and uh, the Mexicans decided to populate this Tejas area with a bunch of, you know, they might've been a little part outlaw um, of guys that saw a great economic opportunity. If I work hard, um, I get to control my own destiny again. And so they got the private property rights when, uh, you know, the Mexicans decided that they were getting a little too populous and a little too wily for them. And they said, Hey, give us that cannon back. Um, come and take it. And we bitch. said, come and take it. And that's like still, uh, right here. And 99% of this state or, or Republic, uh, future Republic ha- outside of the cities, that is still a hundred hundred percent our mindset. The most dangerous thing, uh, like the percent, nothing scares a government more than a bunch of armed citizens willing to defend their private property. I believe that is number one. Are they going to take our guns, Griffin Havy? Fuck no, they're not going to take our guns. Absolutely <laughs> not. Not from my dead hands. Uh, and so, and like, there's just a ton of me out there. We're, we're there. We're, you're, you will never take my guns. Too many of us are going to die on that hill that Nobody wants to fire that first shot because it's uh, it's it's a lot of uh, it's, it's a lot of bloodshed and and like for no reason unnecessary yeah, yeah for trying to uh, you know take somebody's private property and so yeah that's still in our ethos today and uh, you know I run with a lot of dudes that think the exact same and you know from that come and take it that that was like okay now we'll defend these private property rights and then they become English common law and that you know that kind of right there. With the Texas mindset was always, uh, I will defend my private property. And I understand, like, if you get the, the oil rights there, then the, the wind rights or solar rights, whatever, you know, there's, there's just a lot of upside that, that came from that. And that's just a really special uh, crossroads of, of everything coming together perfectly. And then, you know, kind of from there, Spindle Top happened. They, they drilled for oil. And, you know, any Joe Blow that wanted to go out and risk it and use his own capital could control his own destiny again. And that, uh, I, I, God, I think it's still, I think it's still here today. And I, and I, I know you don't need a hundred percent of that mentality, but I don't, I mean, there's enough Wiley, Wiley boys still in Texas that you could, you could do it on five to 10% and still be a force to reckon with type deal. And then, uh, you know, the deregulation of the grids when it comes to the Bitcoin mining, you know, you can still, you know, you control your own destiny. It doesn't matter what Washington's telling you to do. If you're truly off grid or uh, buying electricity in a free market deregulated system, uh, you you can you can control your own destiny. You don't have to worry about what the Fed is printing. And the day that Texas basically says, uh, "Okay, you're not going to secure our border," okay, we're going to do that. Like you're not going to, you know, bail out the oil companies, but you're happily going to bail out every other bank or you know any industry that you think is cool. Well. Why, why do we need the federal government here in Texas? Like, you know, I'm not saying we secede today, but at the end of the day, we, we have all the leverage and the more, uh, you know, crunch in, in the energy space, uh, it looks, it looks good for Texans and let's control our own destiny. And, you know, one of the biggest things was like, we're going to stop giving you funds. And it's like, well, if we could make our own funds here because we have cheaper energy than majority of the world, like you're falling on deaf ears here, Uncle Sam. Yeah. And this Bitcoin mining permanent funds, like you 
use the strand of gas to mine Bitcoin and maybe you roll that into a permanent fund like the Alaskan oil permanent fund and the federal government says, hey, we're not going to give you funds anymore. You say, hey, we don't need them. Yeah. Oh, oh those, those fun coupons that you printed uh, <laughs> trillions of. Thank you. And yeah, then that's, I don't know. You could you could kind of see if if this BRICS things really takes off, which I don't think it will. I mean, the, the petrodollar still because of the Navy, uh, my dad was in the Navy, so I'm a little, little biased there. But if you look at like, since the Brits kind of controlled the deep seas, the Portuguese, the, the Spaniards, the, you know, kind of control of everything that's transported on water. Um, everything is transported on water. And then unless you can do it domestically, which nobody really has everything going for it, like near as much as the United States and especially Texas, um, when it comes to just resources and the, the ability to manufacture, you need cheap energy, you need a large population, you need pro-business, you need private property rights. Um, it, you know, it all kind of makes sense here. And I, th I think you've got enough, actually, I know you have enough people that will defend that, you know, kind of forever. So I'm really not worried about uh, the rest of the world getting ugly because, you know, USA and Texas should be fine. But if, if the United States decides to stop, um, you know, making sure that there's free sea lanes, uh, it's, Brick, brick currencies don't work, right? Like, so I don't know what the marriage is going to be between a, a dollar. I think, I think we'll see like the digital currency dollar, right? But I believe uh, in the layered money where, you know, Bitcoin will be like the gold and then the CBDCs, you know, kind of will be under that. And the, um, you know, that can, that can still be a hard money. And if you want to trade or if you, yeah, if you literally want to trade, you pretty much have to pay the taxes, of, of that free shipping lane and AKA using, using that dollar, keeping it relevant. And then I don't know if you basically can just go sanction pirates and the brick currencies are done, right? Like get some, get some Blackwater dudes out there to go, you know, harass some ships and, you know, you could put some real volatility on some currency without a Navy. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh interesting times that we live in here. Yeah. It's fun though. I know. It's scary. But it's I mean, fun. It's 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 I it's hard to deny that we're at the uh, good times creates or hard times create strong men. Strong men create good times. Good times create weak men, and we are at the weak men creating hard times right now. I mean, it doesn't get any softer in the White House than you know. I you know, I almost feel sorry for the dude. He's doesn't really feel like he's there and just kind of being controlled. And I mean, there's consequences for putting weak men in office, and. Uh, like I said, just time to raise strong men. You yes. make, make sure your boys are hard Western men. That's all you can do. That's why, uh, hey, I have a natural born Texan in my family. Amen. My, Amen. My uh, second son was born in Texas. Congratulations on that. He's our Texas anchor, baby. Ra raise him strong. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the, uh, no, it, I mean, it is. And that's the thing too. Like we're both fathers. Like, and I'm looking at my boys. They're two and a half and a month and a half old. I'm like, what the hell are you going to? What is the world going to look like for you too? Yeah. I, I tell my son, like, sorry, I had it good. You're about to go through tougher times than I have and nobody's going to listen to you complaining. I'm sorry. It's just the way life is. We had it so good. Oh yeah. It was, uh, it was incredible. You didn't realize what kind of world we were living in. That was phenomenal. 90s, baby. You're just not, not, a, not a care in the world. Downloading AOL on your gateway computer, yeah. eating fun dip, <laughs> watching, watching Nickelodeon. <laughs> 
And you wake up two decades later, the world's falling to shit. Yeah. Because I, I, I don't know how long uh, this current thing, you know, kind of is sustainable, but just does feel, feel like a, a fiat bubble is it's kind of ready to have a lot of pops kind of, kind of all over and what's going to be the straw that breaks camel's back. And I, uh, I'm just thankful I live in the United States of America and especially Texas that uh, we'll be fine. We'll still have plenty of food to eat. We got the greatest geography for, you know, growing, growing crops and a, and a river system to transport them to where it's not, you know, too, too expensive. And we have all the natural resources for, for energy. Um, so it's, it's never going to get out of control here. And, and we're very fortunate. But uh, I do think there's going to be some knock-on effects, you know, kind of globally. And what does that look like? I don't know. I, I hate, I feel bad for the Europeans right now. Yeah. Yeah. And they don't seem like the, the kind to be aggressive to go fix their problems. Yeah. Tell the Dutch. Kind of, kind of proud of the Dutch right now. Yes. Shout out to, well, the Dutch farmers, right? Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like, again, Marty Jones coming back, tinfoil hat back on here. <laughs> It seems like these people like the WAF class, the Davos class, and have infiltrated these governments. And it seems like they're actively trying to depopulate the world. I mean, if you look into what's going on with the Dutch farmers specifically, I think they're using the guise of ESG and environmental um, catastrophe to essentially eminent domain farmland. And if you actually look at the plans, they just want to take that farmland and put up like cities of pods where people will go live and you know how to tell my kids what? what's the number one rule about firearms never let the government take your guns because <laughs> <laughs> there's just prime examples of why you don't do that uh that's like you know i could say we have the greatest geography in the world and when it comes to natural resources but at the end of the day uh i mean shout out to the founding fathers and creating um the different branches of government that they can't do that, right? Like whoever's handling Biden right now uh, would love to be, you know, pushing all of this down our throats and just got absolutely uh, stopped in his tracks on uh, with that EPA ruling. The concealed carry. I mean, <laughs> we had an example. Second amendment. The concealed and it was just like, okay, uh, dang, I guess I can't do anything. And so it's, the, the Supreme Court, and that's how important that Trump win was, but to put those three seats on there, that if, if that was Hillary, I don't know if I'm this optimistic right now, but again, shout out, shout out to the founding fathers. Uh, we have the ability to protect our private property and we have the ability to have access to cheap energy because we don't have these you know mandates um, being forced down our throat from the federal level. Sure, they can do it on activists through public companies, but... Uh, at the end of the day, they, they can't, they can't mess with your private property. And thank God. No. Well, yeah. I mean, the gun debate right now is infuriating. Like, again, thank God for that concealed carry law too in Indiana. Yeah. Like, the CIA agent who groomed that, that mass shooter at the Indiana mall was uh, probably crying when he saw that dude uh, concealed carry shoot this guy from 40 yards away. Cap, 15 seconds legend yeah well i mean hero that's the thing the gun, obviously the gun debate's hot right now we have the Evaldi thing happened here a couple months ago we've had that thing in indiana there's mass shooting um meme is, is pretty big here 
in the United States, that's the thing that frustrates me the most is these mass shooters are typically on SSRIs and very depressed and nobody wants to talk about that problem. It's like, no, we have to take your guns. And it seems like it's somewhat of a manufactured crisis to take people's guns. Yesterday, literally the president, leader of the free world came out and said that the weather is an emergency. And then four hours later tweeted about gun grabbing. And like, historically, if you like, there's no way you can't be like, that's kind of a red flag. Nobody, emergency. Okay. Now I need your guns. And what's the emergency? Oh, uh, it's hot. It's summer. But yeah, on, on Uvalde, like my, uh, my ancestors been in Uvalde County and I've been there like between Uvalde and Kinney County, like every summer of my life. And that school's maybe like eight blocks from my grandma's house. And uh, it's when I go and talk to people, I was, I was in Uvalde, uh, last week and nobody, nobody feels good about this. Every single person there is like, it's suspicious. Nobody is like, I want answers. This is not, this doesn't happen, you know, in, in Uvalde. And this, uh, it's, I'm glad the Texas Rangers are involved and you know, what's so, going on there. Uh, so first the FBI was investigating. And does that give you any warm and fuzzies? No. Um, and, but also the Texas Rangers are teamed up with them to do the investigating. So I feel a little bit, uh, you know, better about having a real law enforcement agency that um, is actually not, you know, politicalized and weaponized. Um, so I don't know, man, it's a terrible deal. It's so sad. Uh, you know, a lot of friends um, and, you know, family there that have, you know, it's obviously it's the worst tragedy it's ever hit, hit Uvalde. But uh, like I said, I don't, I don't feel good about it. Nobody, nobody like has a safe feeling of, Hey, give up your guns because the police will protect you. And, and that, that's your, going to be your argument for coming to take my guns. When I just saw like the incompetence there. And a lot of people say like, first it was the school uh, police and then the Uvalde police and then the state troopers. So then state level. And then the Border Patrol makes it a federal level, and it was uh, it was a big bungle. Don't get me wrong, but uh, yeah, it's, it's it's not a great argument for hey, take take my guns because the the police will protect you. Especially when you juxtapose with, with, with what just happened in Indiana. It's like that kid acted in fifteen seconds, and these guys. I mean, there's pictures of them like checking their phones and smiling in the hallways when this shit was going on. It's like how I don't like thinking about it. Let's, let's go on to the next subject. They'll never take my guns. <laughs> that's, uh, that's my brother's favorite Griffin Habe, uh story in uh, Bit Block Boom last year. We were at the barbecue and you just walked up to my brother. And like, you just moved to Texas? He's like, yeah. He's like, you know one thing about Texas? I was just like, why? He's like, they'll never, ever, 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 oh. ever take our guns. I don't know. I don't know who that guy was, but. He was, he was probably speaking the truth. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, yeah, it's, it's like one of the best, um, just government backstop tools you can have. Armed citizenry, like I think it was, uh, I think it was you tweeted out one day. Uh, the the people should never fear their government. The government should fear their people. Yeah, and that like that keeps authoritarian and overreaching, you know, power grabbing politicians at bay. And it's, I mean, it's a tool and, and don't get me wrong. There's some terrible people out there and there's evil all over the world. And if they get a hold of guns, yes. Uh, 
you know, do some bad things, but like passing laws and taking it away from law-abiding citizens is, is never going to be your answer. And they'll, they'll find a way, you know, kind of to, to break the law because they're evil people. And so making it harder for uh, everyday Americans who just want to live their life and be left alone. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's the point I want to get. Just leave me alone. I just want to raise my family. Yeah. I think a lot of libertarians got out of, out of once they were sitting at home, having more time to research, uh, you know, the history of tyranny and in, in different uh, aspects of history and countries out there. It's just, you know, less government and it's a pendulum. You're going to swing back and forth between big government and small government throughout the years. And I think we're kind of uh, at, at, the, at the top of big government welfare state and nobody wants to just keep subsidizing offshore wind or whatever uh, is going to be the next, you know, offshore wind lunatic, lunatic idea that's coming out of this current administration. I just, I don't, I don't, I don't think the American people want, want big government spending. They want to, they want to hold on to their own money. Yeah. And another shout out to the founding fathers. We are a Republic at the end of this country was founded as a Republic, not actually a democracy. A lot of people don't understand. And I think the last three, I mean, I'm in Texas now. Why did I come to Texas? I was in the Northeast. I was in New York, Philly area. I was like, these people are not, respecting my autonomy. So I'm going to go somewhere that does, which is Texas. I had the ability to move freely to do that. And you have an optionality of different structures that you can live in here in the United States due to the fact that we have autonomous states that can make their own laws. And yep. Huge win. That's, I mean, and that's something that we need to keep the momentum going on is states asserting the rights. I mean, we've mentioned it a few times in this show, but we really need to drill that home for anybody listening is like, if you live in a particular state and you want something to happen, go to your, to the state level and say, Hey, like let's build some nukes. Um, let's not participate in this insanity going on at the federal level. And let's really flex our muscles and show like, Hey, we, we can take care of ourselves. We don't need your help. Yeah. If West Virginia can do it, what are we waiting for? I don't know what we're waiting for. Yeah, West by God, Virginia. I'm so proud of them. Mansion, keeping it real. Yeah, he's a Democrat too, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, he's he's, he's he's a logical thinker. At the end of the day, uh, under, understands that you can't just put more burden on on the American you know working class right now when we're trying to get by, we're trying to succeed and thrive and man-made roadblocks coming in our way. It's just not, uh, it's not helpful. Unleash the beast. We have uh, everything we need here. Unleash us. I'm telling you, we, uh, we could, you know, we could get gas down to two bucks. Give me and the homies, you know, 20 drilling rigs and the, you know, Marcellus and the, the Haynesville. And we can have so much gas just flowing out of our ears. Uh, but you need to know that like the, the government's going to back you. You need to know that if, okay, say you went and did that and you made some money, are you going to get windfall taxed? Like that's not something you should be worrying about uh, by your government. That's something uh, you should just like, hey, we need gas. Go get it, boys. Yeah. Uh, what, can I help? what can I do to help? Not, oh, better not make too much money or we'll windfall you. And it's just uh, so counterproductive. But we got, yeah, we got resources here for days. And uh, yeah, drill, baby, drill. Yeah, how do we... Now you got me thinking, like, how do we... I don't know if the law needs to be passed, an amendment needs to be made, but 
to give that certainty to producers. Like right now, like you had Chevron with Mike Wirch came out, CEO of Chevron, and said, like, we're not going to build a refinery because you're telling us that we're not going to be able to sell our 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 resources to the market in a decade. Like, why would I build something that has a 30-year payback if you're telling me I'm not going to be able to have revenue produced from that asset uh, 10 years from now? Yeah. Straight up venture business risk, right? And you you weigh those every day. Um, I don't think more laws is going to help it. Uh, I think market sentiment is going to help it. And it's enough uh, people calling their reps and saying, hey, I don't like paying high gas prices. Yeah. And the reps are not, you know, they're, they're basically going to go up the Senate and, and, and be telling their colleagues like, hey, all of my constituents want this regulation out of the way, like stop. And so I think it's more of an, instead of in, incentivizing, it's just like, stop the regulation. Yeah. Because I can, Texas, like I said, we're, we're all about um, incentivizing them to go out and drill and not have to do any regulation. When in Washington, they're all about how can I regulate you more? And uh, that attitude's got to change. Um, and I, I, I don't think you get it done on paper, uh, personally. I think it's, it's more or less uh, cost of living is, is too high. And yeah. what's, what's like your quickest fix? It's cheap energy. Everything thrives on cheap energy. And uh, just get out of the way. Yeah. Get out of the way. It's almost like, not to get like biblical here, but like the Bible, many could view it as like a book that helps you bootstrap morality. You got to read the Bible. It's like, here's how you be a good person. And here's how you should live your life in terms of like, um, providing value and, and living a life of morality and good ethics. Like maybe we need that for energy. Like, Hey, I mean, not to like write a new Bible or anything, but there's like a story that gets told throughout time. Like, Hey, cheap energy is good. We need it to thrive. Like that, like talking about building, not building, raising strong children, like just instilling that in them. Like don't ever, let anybody take your guns. Don't ever let anybody tell you that energy usage is bad. Yep. Pollution's bad. Uh, that's that's where they've controlled the narrative on energy usage is bad. Yeah, because they because they conflate it with pollution. It's just it's two completely separate things that um, they're just attaching to each other to to make to fearmonger. Like, oh, we're going to pollute and destroy the world. It's like no, you can provide more energy and electricity to the world without polluting. It's trying to get that message out there. Yeah, we got a long ways to go there. And you know, they always say historically, like the, um, sorry, I keep saying that, the, uh, the energy density physics is what is why the oil and gas industry has never you know, had to advertise, you know, really. It's because at the end of the day, you, uh, humans will migrate to the most efficient uh, use of their time, use of their energy to get um, certain substances out of the ground to, you know, burn, burn them as fuel for energy. And, you know, the, the density compared to wood, to coal, to, you know, oil and gas, to uh, uranium, it's, uh, it's like you, you're not going to, I would say you're not going to keep burning wood today, but that's, that's where we are in Germany right now. They're literally getting firewood in the middle of the summer just to, you know, be prepared for the winter. The, uh, just how efficient and, uh, dense, you know, hydrocarbons are, they'll, they'll always come to us. And so we never really had to worry about it. And this is like the first time I've seen like just a straight up 
attack. Like people gluing themselves to the Last Supper, saying no new oil. Like what? What do you really think? Uh, it's a fucking oil painting. <laughs> yeah, like, what do you think? <laughs> Everything on your body, how you got there, like everything. And then the the the. Uh, the F1 driver who's wearing like the no Tarsan shirts when he's wearing like uh, a Walkman holding his iPhone. He's got a Patronus right. on yeah. his fucking car. Yes, yes. And it's uh, it's the this virtue signaling that is, uh, it's, like I said, it's, it's not sustainable. It's starting to fall on deaf ears. When people have real problems, you, you never hear about global warming. When we were in 08, uh, 07, like everybody was talking about global warming and that's where they like, they really started um, this things because we everything was going great, and then all of a sudden you have real problems and nobody talks about it. So my theory is, as long as you're talking about global warming and then the climate, that means we're still in good times, because when when people are legitimately you know starving because you your harvest numbers are down because you your inputs for the fertilizer have gotten you know priced out of most of of the farmers around the world. And so your yields are going to be so much lower. And when everybody wakes up and sees that, you know, Ukraine and, and Russia were, were number one and number five of, of weed exports. And a lot of people rely, you know, on weed as, you know, part of their diets. And uh, those people aren't going to care about what you think about some teenager from Sweden wants to tell you about what she thinks about the globe, right? Like, uh, it's, it's, just a, it's just a matter of not having, you know, real problems. And unfortunately real problems, you know, are coming. And I, I think that, yes, yeah, it's looking, it's looking like we're kind of stamping out that, uh, that, that fear every day, but uh, it just takes time and, and uh, messaging. I would not count on the oil and gas industry for messaging. I think Parker said it the best. It's going to be the, the Bitcoiners that, that squash the, uh, we're coming in to help that squash the, uh, the ESG messaging better than the oil and gas guys ever will. Well, how's, from your perspective, how has it on the narrative side as Bitcoiners sort of infiltrating? Oh, it's unreal. Oil and gas. Oh, it's unreal. Um, yeah, like never, never did, did I think that I would hear like some of the best, you know, the uh, safe, safe deans out there, you know, just absolutely demolishing anybody uh, that's, <laughs> that's afraid of carbon or energy usage. <laughs> Uh, Mahler's like two days ago had a great POW and Nick Carter's done more for like the Texas mining um, industry, environment industry, every bit of that upgrowth. Uh, it's, it's just been phenomenal and we can never convey that message like he could. Right. And so um, it's, it's been really fun. I've been, I've been thoroughly enjoying seeing it and I'm loving just the collision course. Uh, we've got yeah, these two paths. That's where I think the, uh, where we can be the, the biggest value at. Obviously, hey, we're going to help you monetize your stranded assets, but we're also, because we've been picked on for 13 years now, yeah. like you fucking idiots, like <laughs> yeah. you running this Ponzi, it's like, shut the fuck up. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, no more. We need to fix the money. We need to fix the energy. We're here to, we just got to make fun of these people. Yeah. And how do, how, do, how do we get these, uh, these wily cowboys on board? Oh, okay. <laughs> We hate ESG too. Okay, come on down. <laughs> and it just kind of worked out. I absolutely love it. Yeah, cyber hornets are, are real. Yeah. And they're like kind of the first ones to pounce on, on a lot of these things. So it's been fun to watch. Yeah. Let's end it on the positive note. So let's end it on Bitcoin mining, oil and gas too. What, uh, 
what do you want to end it on in that regard? It's like, what does this convergence of these two industries mean for humanity in the long run? Oof, deep. Uh, yeah, like I said, it, it really depends on how uh, the future of money looks, right? And if the future of money really does look like an energy-backed currency and, and Ford was on to something 100 years ago, then it, it brings power back to the petrostates. And I don't care if you're Texas. I don't care if you're Argentina. I don't care if you are Saudi Arabia. I don't care if you're Canada. Like if you've got a bunch of natural resources and all of a sudden you've lost a market of being able to sell, like you'll burn oil to make Bitcoin at that point. And at, at the end of the day, like I, I really do feel like the, um, the, the old phrase was, you know, he who has the gold finances wars. And if, if you actually have to earn, you know, that gold and you didn't inherit it and you went out there and proof of work made you um, earn that, uh, that gold, then you, you're just less incentivized to go drop bombs on random people, um, which, is, which is a great thing for mankind. Uh, I mean, it feels more, more peaceful if there's less, you know, fake, fake money being printed to supply, you know, warheads and, and the war machine. And I think it can just really slow that down. But uh, in, in Texas, like Texas terms, it just, uh, it really sets up nicely for a, just a, just straight up bastion of free markets, um, you know, cheap energy, which leads to cheap manufacturing, which leads to greater supply chains and just more domestic thriving. Um, right here, uh, we've got access to the coast. We've got access to a lot of, energy resources from the windy plains to the sunny mountains of West Texas to the tons of hydrocarbons in the ground. Uh, we've got uranium deposits here. And um, the states that you know embrace Bitcoin mining, they uh, embrace private property and the you know, self-sovereignty, more or less, I think is, is probably the, what I'm looking for. And I think other people are going to take notice of that and they're either all going to come here or say, Hey, maybe, maybe I can make a difference where I live and, um, you know, go back. I got a state to save or something like that. But my kids are me eighth generation Texans. So they, they ain't going anywhere. They'll, <laughs> they'll, they'll be here. Yeah. It's it, times may be tough right now freaks, but I'm very optimistic. Oh yeah. Oh, I, I couldn't be more optimistic. I've never been this busy in my life too. Neither have I. It's crazy. It's been, uh, and obviously just had a, our second son. So went on a bit of a paternity leave, but, um, everything going on from here and TFTC to the mining side to 1031, like and there, there are things happening. It may seem like the global economy is coming to a halt, but, uh, Bitcoin doesn't stop. And yeah. Texas will be just fine. USA is going to be fine. Uh, and just, yeah, stay, stay laser focused <laughs> right here. Be, it's going to be fine if you American freaks out there listening take initiative and actually tell, tell your congressman that you want cheap energy. Yeah, go do it. We'll end it there. Go <laughs> tell your congressman you want cheap energy and he's going to get it out of the ground for you. Yeah. Peace and love, freaks. Take care.